Hello, welcome to Circuit and Gear, a podcast where we discuss scenic automation and other interesting technology. I'm Gareth Connor. And I'm Royal Marty. Royal, how's it going? Good, Gareth. How about you? Never better. Hey, listen, we've got a few things to discuss today. Uh, I think we should circle back to the Nord gear motors yep. we discussed in our first podcast. Uh, we got a question about Stagehand FX units, our IO controller. Yeah. And then we had an email request to talk about some uh, code and how we can code for automation. Yeah. So I think those will be our talking points today. Right. First up, Nord. We had, uh, on the first podcast, we mentioned we were going to take a look at Nord gear motors as a possible substitute for SEW. Yep. Nothing really wrong with SEW. No. Pretty happy with their stuff. Yeah, very happy, but always wanted to try something new. Yeah. See what else is out there. And re- refresh my memory, what were the things that possibly Nord was going to bring to the table? Uh, the big thing is they have an aluminum gearbox that uh, it can, can go up to five horsepower, if I remember correctly. Okay. Um, as opposed to SEW's aluminum gearbox, which can only go up to one horse currently. Got it. So the aluminum gearbox drops the weight substantially. Yeah. That makes sense. And then possibly they might be a little cheaper too. Uh, yeah, cheaper. Exactly. Cool. So, so you had your first opportunity to, yeah. to try it out. Yeah. So for the the rotating walls that we discussed last week for a custom job, um, I was thinking we could give Nord a chance on that because we often like to try uh, new things on custom jobs. It gives us where we gives don't us- have to, yeah, it gives us a little bit, a little bit of time to play around with it and we don't have to say, okay, well, this is what we're going to use for the next 10 years. Right. It's a great way to kind of dip our toe in the water, check it out. And if it works great, fantastic. Maybe we'll use it in a real product. And if it doesn't work so great, well, <laughs> we'll just burn that bridge and right. move on. <laughs> we'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make it work, but then we're, we're done messing with that. Yeah. So I started looking at the catalog. Um, SEW, I realize I've been pretty spoiled with SEW. Um because SCW, when you go to Spec Motor, you can go to their website and you just type in like what what gearbox you want and then how much torque or RPM you want and what horsepower, and then it just gives you a whole slew of selections to go from there. That's a really nice tool for folks that don't know. That's called PT Pilot. Yes, and you log into it through SCW's website, and it's a little web application where, like you said, you can select horsepower and rpm or you can select torque output and speed right um and then it's a very intuitive like kind of wizard yeah I guess. it just takes you through all the steps of like when you want to select you know when you select your brake when you select your encoder all the way down to like which where do you want the the electrical junction box, box to be on right. the motor which way are the cables going to come out of it exactly because if anyone ever has tried to specify one of these um, AC gear motors you quickly realize that a it's a huge part number <laughs> right. and then that part number isn't everything it's not everything like, no. there's a whole like, paragraph <laughs> of other things you have to also Absolutely. specify yeah yeah. So yeah, you're right. It's great because that that website PT Pilot just builds the part number for you, and then yeah, and then it like uh, it'll generate a quote. It generates a quote, so you know exactly how much it costs, yep. and then you can even order it straight from there. Yeah, it's really nice. Yeah. So and Nord, so Nord has the same thing. Nord does not have the same thing. Oh. Yeah, which is a little <laughs> bit of a bummer. Um, but I started flipping through the catalog. I was like, okay, we'll just 
spec it through the catalog and um it took a long time to figure out where you know what the gearbox is we wanted and then once we found that gearbox what ratios they had to offer um and then what motor we wanted and then where we wanted the junction box to be what brake what encoder yeah and, and we were flipping back and forth yeah. all over that catalog <laughs> yeah. it was like you're on page 90 see page 249 right. to for this option, see page 398 for right. that option. I mean, yeah. I was doing it for off and on for like an hour or so yep. before you came over and talking to me. And then you sat down and did it with me. And <laughs> for like almost another hour. <laughs> another hour, right. So <laughs> it's something that usually takes us about 15 minutes, maybe. Yep. We spend about two hours, two of us. Two of us. Three man hours <laughs> right. to generate a part number. Yep. And then I sent it off to our salesman. And uh, believe it or not, it wasn't right. Yeah. <laughs> Three <laughs> hours, but at least we did it wrong. Right. <laughs> uh, so, and then it was just an interesting exercise because right after that, I went to SEW and was able to pick the exact motor we wanted and get a quote all within 10 minutes. Right. As opposed to this where, you know, you had to send the part number off to the salesman and then get a quote. Um, and that all in, all in, it took about two days, you know, from when the salesman got back. So 10 minutes versus two days. Exactly. Yeah. That, exactly. Right. And so instantly we're like, forget it. Yeah. Right? This is, this is not going to work out for us. Yeah. These uh, nice shiny catalog, but no thanks. Beautiful. Right. But it just takes too much time to spec a motor. But then we got the quote back. Yeah. We got the quote back and the, the quote was almost half Yeah. of what SEW wanted. Yeah. Cause it, what were the numbers? Do you remember? It was so like, I think SEW for this motor was going to charge us like 2300 Okay. And Nord was going to charge us, it's going to charge us, I think, 1400 Wow. So that's a substantial. That's a substantial savings. Right. We were expecting like a couple hundred dollars. And if it was a couple hundred dollars, it wouldn't be worth it. Right. But, and then the weight, the weight is a big uh, savings as well because the SEW it's, it's it's the cast. It's like 130 pounds. Okay. And then on the Nord, it's 74 pounds. Oh wow. Yep. Yeah. So that's a big savings right. on, on the weight there. Yep. So it's not the weight is not a big deal for this job, but it's it's definitely a positive. Yeah, as we're trying to figure out how we're going to get machines uh, lighter and right um, more portable finding a solution with the aluminum gearbox is nice yep so i think we're gonna give nord a shot okay and see what see how it shakes out and yeah you know they one one of the really nice things about SEW is they have the rush charge where you pay i think it's like 150 bucks for a 24-hour rush yeah or 70 dollars for, for a 48-hour rush for a two-day rush right so yeah. we oftentimes will do that just Almost always. Right. Because it gives us just the peace of mind that it's going to get here. That's right. For $70, it. get it in two days. Totally worth it. Yep. Uh, Nord doesn't have that. They say their lead time is two to three weeks, um, but oftentimes they can get it done quicker. So it makes it, makes it a little nerve wracking, but I think it'll. Yeah. I, think I guess worst case right. scenario, we could not that we'd want to do this, but worst case scenario, we could always get. If, if Nord is falling way off schedule, right. we could just do a 48-hour rush from SEW and, exactly. and then pick up the pieces with Nord later. Yep. Yep. Well, that's uh, that's interesting. Yeah, we'll, it should we'll be to, interesting. Yeah, we'll have to keep tabs on it and see how it goes through yep. the project and see uh, 
how much we end up liking Nord. Certainly seems like a good product, but that that ordering process uh, yeah, can be a little be, more stream, streamlined. Right. I mean, we have a salesman through SEW, yep. but we hardly ever talk to him. I mean, he comes to visit Not about us. motors. <laughs> right. right, right. <laughs> we talked about everything else but motors. Yes, exactly. <laughs> he comes to visit us every once in a while. Yeah. But then we place orders. We don't talk to him at all. Right. And it's just a little interesting that we have to have so much interaction with the salesman from Nord now. Yeah. So. Yeah. Which might actually be an okay system if we're using it in a stock product. Exactly. Once we get the part number nailed down and we're just, hey, we need four more of those, six more of those, right. whatever. Right. It wouldn't be such a big deal. But exactly. these one-off jobs are make it harder. Yes, <laughs> they do. So. Cool. Well, that's great. Thanks for the update. And we'll yeah. have to come back to it again. Yeah, absolutely. So the next up on the list was the stagehand effects. Right. We've had a couple of people ask us, uh, recently, like what the stagehand effects can be used for, right? You know, if they can use it to run their motors, um, or how you know, w- just what it is. Yeah, what it is, right? Yeah. yeah, and that's a really good question. Um, you know, we we really have two big families of stagehand control products. Um, we have stagehand motor controllers, and that's where you get a winch or a turntable or a hoist something that you want to be able to program the speed and the exact positioning right. that you use a stagehand motor controller for. And that has a motion control card in it that watches encoder feedback and does very precise positioning. And then we have the stagehand FX line and the stagehand FX uh, is really just an, I used to call it like a poor man's PLC, but then as some customer pointed out, he's like, well, it costs about five times of what a PLC costs. <laughs> yeah. So it's really more like a rich man's <laughs> PLC. Right. I was like, well, that's a fair that's point. A point. You, got, you got me there. <laughs> All right, you got me there. But, um, but what it does is it affords you some of, the, some of the functionality of what people might use a PLC for, but give you that great programming interface available to you in SpikeMark. So yeah. you can program your winches and turntables in spike mark using stagehand motor controllers and then if you have simple things that just need an on and off switch like a kabuki drop uh, whatever something yep. that's just bang bang right um you can do that or it it can also give you um inputs into spike mark so you can wire up electrical inputs into spike mark oh, as well. okay so could you like wire like a button into yep. spike mark yep that's absolutely right you could wire just like a simple push button yep. and so you, you know you could have somebody standing off stage with like a clicker in their hand yep. watching something um you know watching for clearance on a wagon and they hit a button uh and that shoots a signal to, to spike mark or yep. limit switches um that and i say limit switches i mean the physical limit switch device not to use it as a limiter but gotcha. as a um something you know you want to hit a wagon runs into a switch right. and that sends a signal back to spike mark. So um, from inputs, there are kind of three three things we wanted to touch on about how you use the input signals coming into spike mark. Yeah. One way you might do it is to trigger a cue. In spike mark, the way the software works is that every, um, every cue is basically a, a bunch of motion that's all going to start at the same right. time. And if you wanted to have staggered motion, you really write like two separate cues. Yep. And then you link those two cues together. Right. With some sort of conditional trigger. Yep. And so you could use the stagehand effects to link those two together. That's right. An input on the stagehand effects. That's exactly right. So you could use an input coming 
uh, wired into the stagehand FX to trigger a link. Yep. So I could have Q1 that say moves a wagon on stage. Right. And then once that wagon um, gets a, hits a switch, that could trigger Q2 to run. Oh, okay. Now that's kind of a contrived example because of course the wagon moving on stage, maybe you just use a precision trigger instead. Right. But let's take a, a more interesting example and say like you've got a, a show control system yep. that's running time code. Right. And you're going to, you, the automation operator is going to kick off a sync sequence by hitting a, a go button. Yes. But then as the time code is rolling at a certain time point, you want to then trigger the next queue off of time code, not off of the automation. Right. And in that case, you could have your show control system just give you a, a dry contact closure oh, okay. based on the, on the time code. Right. And then that will run the next queue in your sequence. I see. So the operator is just standing there to watch it at that point. Exactly. And, you know, with the Showstopper 3 system, right. um, you have a hold to run button. Yep. So basically the operator is there just holding down the dead man switch, exactly. allowing the automation cues to be triggered. To trigger. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. So the FX is a nice way to get some show control into SpikeMark, to have SpikeMark be run by some master control right. system. Right. And so what else can an input do? So that so that first method would be like, you know, running a sequence of cues. Yep. You know, where you're kind of starting at the top and boom, 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 boom. Exactly. One after the other. Yep. Um, however, the other thing you can do is set up what we call global actions um, using input actions. Something that rather than running the sequence, running a sequence of steps will just always do a specific thing. Uh, okay. And that sounds very general because it is very general. Right. right. <laughs> like you could set up an input on a stagehand FX to run a specific queue. Yep. So uh, we do this sometimes when we're using spike mark in non-traditional ways. Like if you're running, we did this uh, for a, a um, an interactive kind of game yep. uh, where y- you could push a button. And this was uh, for the NFL. And the NFL, right? Yep. They had set up a, a gantry, uh, like a two-axis gantry crane yes. that had a hoop. So, like, imagine, like, you're in the backyard throwing a football through a tire. Right. Right? Now you imagine you put that tire on motors so it yes. can move around and run. Uh, <laughs> trying to hit a receiver. <laughs> Try to hit a receiver. Right. Like, that's actually in motion, right? <laughs> right? Pretty cool. Yeah. And so what you could do is they had four different routes for the receiver to run. Yep. And on a kiosk. And you could go up there and hit a button and say, run route number one. Right. You know, it's going to be a little button hook or something. Yep. And off goes the hoop on the motors. um, And then you throw the football through it. Uh, Okay. Well, in that case, we were using an FX. We had four inputs, four buttons, and we'd written these cues uh, to run the different routes that the receiver would run. There, each input just had an input action that said hey run route number one run oh, route number yeah, two yeah, run yeah. route number three and so you could kind of jump around to whatever route you wanted to run right just by pressing the button right that's one way so that's the run queue action yep you could also have a soft stop action where you um soft stop just a single motor or any number of motors yep. and so that's pretty handy if you've got some motion on stage that starts at the same time or, you know, that's all moving together. Right. And then in an actor driven line, you want one piece of that motion to stop. Right. 
So the specific instance that we wrote this action for was a show out at the Denver, uh, Denver, Denver Center. Yep. And they had a donut turntable. The outside ring of the donut uh, and the inside ring were, and the inside solid part of the turntable were counter-rotating. Yes. And at some actor line, the outer ring wanted to stop. Oh, okay. But the inner turntable had to keep going. Right. So in that instance, we just uh, used an input action yeah. to soft stop only the outer ring. Oh, great. But the inner ring, keep going. Yep. Because the operator couldn't hit soft stop from the showstopper because it would stop both. It would it, stop both turntables. Excellent point. Right. There is already a soft stop command, but right. that stops everything. everything. Yep. The input action is designed just to soft right. stop one thing. And now what's kind of funny about that is you could actually, if you wanted to leave it all in queues, you could actually have a write a queue that closes an output. That output could be wired to the input of the show of the stagehand effects rather. Yeah. And so you could still just write a queue basically and have the stagehand effects send an output into the input of the effects. Oh, yeah, soft yeah, stops. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like a snake <laughs> eating its tail. Yeah. Um, and then there's another there's one like that that you can send a stagehand to go to sleep to hibernate, right? Yes, exactly. Or what we call activate deactivate. Um, and when you deactivate a motor in stagehand, it basically just kind of takes it out of the game. Right. It just it won't run any more cues, but it also will not interrupt any links right. that it might be involved in. Because if you just hit disconnect, Yep. And there are links that are depending on that stagehand. Those links are not going to fire. They're not going to fire. You know, being an automation system where we have real safety concerns, if every motor involved in a linked queue isn't responding, we yep. don't run the link because we don't know, hey, that could, you know, that could cause a collision on stage. There could be a real safety problem if not every motor is behaving properly. Right. So normally, if a motor is just disconnected from the system, but it's still in a queue, a link with that queue won't run. Gotcha. If you explicitly deactivate it, then the link will go ahead and continue because deactivating just tells the system, hey, I've taken it out. I've ensured everything's safe. Don't worry about right. it. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, so you can set up an input so you can have like a, a, a switch that deactivates any number of motors and that actually uh the guys from hall associates yeah. flying, flying effects the performer flying people um they use that when they're doing performer flying yep um they might have multiple motors uh flying a performer around and it's not uncommon for the performer to get a little snagged with their costumes or something right. and not be able to be picked up on cue yep and so they can let go of their activate button and that just kind of takes all of the motors dedicated to that performer out of the queue. Right. And then the rest of the actors can fly into position on queue. And then that performer gets run on on joystick and then rejoins the, gotcha. the show for the next gotcha. queue. Oh, that's cool. And then we often have to do like interlocks. So mm-hmm. for lifts that are coming up, like we would just, just, we just discussed, discussed that last, last week, week, right? Yep. So, interlocks, the, yeah. know, so the lift coming up and the sunroof moving, we want to make right. it so the lift can't come up if the sunroof is closed. Right. Since, since the stagehand effects has inputs and you can, you know, fire, fire other things from that input. Can you use the stagehand effects as an interlock device? You really can't. And that's a great question. It comes up a lot. People say, Hey, here's some inputs. I could use those to detect when, 
clearances are made right. and go ahead and interlock with the FX. But we got to remember is that the stagehand FX is um, just another device on the network and it's communicating through spike mark yeah. for its information. That is not an okay thing for a safety device. Right. Because <laughs> if that network connection is lost, you know, what then protects the system? Yes. Or if you run that lift manually By and itself. just jog it with yes. spike mark completely disconnected from the system. Right. Now all of your interlocking logic is gone. So it really is not safe to use the stagehand FX inputs for interlocking. Gotcha. You want to use the you want to do that at a lower level, like yes. down at the electrical hardware level right. like we discussed last week. Right. Uh, using the limit switch circuits, yep. not the stagehand FX. It's tempting. It's very tempting. <laughs> but like, not I already appropriate. got this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it seems so nice and flexible and programmable, and it, that would be great, but it's just not safe enough to do right. interlocks with the stagehand right, right. FX. So beyond inputs, obviously the other half of the stagehand FX is outputs. Yeah. And what? Uh, so what do the outputs do, Royal? So the outputs are... Just little contact closures, dry contact closures. So you can supply your own voltage. Yep. Uh, you know, external of the stagehand effects, and you can just use those to to close switches. Oh, or, like a like a network controllable light switch. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, nice. So like a lot of people, you will use them for solenoid valves for oh, like yeah. pneumatic effects. So like if they need to, you know, fire a pneumatic cylinder or something like that, they can fire it from the stagehand effects. Uh, which is cool because you couldn't run those off of a stagehand motor controller. That's right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, you know, also a lot of people use them for like snow bags or like uh, Like tubes. the snow tumblers, yeah, exactly. right? Where they got like a little gear motor on right, them. Right, yeah. right. But you just kind of turn them on, turn them off. Exactly. You don't need positioning. Like if you if you want to run a motor from the stagehand effects, it would have to be something where you don't need any sort of position feedback. Right. right. It, just something that you maybe want to time. Yes. Or I guess you could also use limits, uh, you know, like use the inputs. As right? limits, right, which yep. some people have done. Yep. yep. But then you got to remember that you're depending on the network. Right. For right. your you limit switch. Yeah. It's got to be safe in and of itself right. without the effects, but it could at least like turn something on and off for you on right. that limit switch. Or a lot of people will use the stagehand effects as a clock motor. Oh, right. To yeah. run, you know, run their motor for a clock. Yep. Um. And then it's just important to remember that the effects only produces low voltage. So if you if you want to run something that's like operates at 120 volts, that's fine. But you'll have to bring in a, a second relay. Right, you right. Bring in those... your own relay to supply your voltage and then use the effects to fire that relay. Right, right. Because those the relays that are inside the stagehand effects, they're just dry contacts, but they're right. they're small little relays. Not not made for high voltage, high yeah. current stuff. So right. they'd be fun. Like you're saying, you could you could fire voltage that pulls in the coil of another relay yep. for you if you need to step up to big power. Yep. But you don't want to drive those right off of the right off of the stagehand effects. Right. But if you had like a 24 volt solenoid valve, totally. that'd be fine. It's totally right? fine. Yep. You just run it right off of there. Yeah, exactly. And just like you mentioned, that each of the four um outputs are independent totally right. isolated from one another so they can run at different voltages right you can yep. have some things at 12 volts 5 volts 20 volts 20 volts yeah 24 volts yep yeah so a lot of people they're great for just the little gags yep you know so like i said the the roll tubes or like door openers people use them for to open a oh, door yeah 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 i've seen that a lot right yeah. like kick open a door and then the wagon Shove the wagon through. through there yep yep, yep. exactly yep and then 
And then you can do like a position trigger inside right. spike mark for, hey, once the wagon is clear of the door, go it's ahead and shut door. off. And, yep. 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 Oh, you know what? I actually just came up recently too is uh, Mike Wade at the Atlantic Theater. Um, they're doing a flipper door. Oh, yeah. Uh, like a garage door um, that, you know, tips up on a hinge. Yep. And they're using a spot line to pull the door up. But when the door comes back down, they wanted to have some pneumatic locks to That's close right. it up nice and yes. tight to get a good seam. Yep. And they're using the stagehand FX in that situation to, to throw the locks that yeah. hold the door. And so what are their locks? Are their locks like a new, little pneumatic cylinder? Little or pneumatic cylinder. Yeah. yeah, little pneumatic cylinder. Oh, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So nice. That's a perfect application of using a stagehand FX. Yeah. Cool. That's great. So our third topic is, uh, is code and automation. Yeah. And so we got uh, an email request from from a listener. Yeah. And uh, she asked, as somebody who's interested in learning automation coding, I wonder if you could tell me a bit about where and how you learn to code and if you have any useful learning resources. Maybe you could discuss how you came to, de- to design and code SpikeMark and the StageHand firmware in a future podcast. Hey, great question. Yeah, Something. it's an awesome question, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of a two-part question. So the first part is, you know, how did you get started and how do you continue to learn? And, you know, as you continue to learn, what are the good resources you're, you use to, yeah. to continue to learn? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. So just, I guess, starting at the beginning there, um, you know, I learned to code, um, I, I'd be lying if I said I, uh, hadn't been into computers my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> they had computers. And, well, to be honest, <laughs> to be honest, not really. Like but, wind powered, right? <laughs> and my first computer was an Atari 400 back in the day. Like a video game system? No. <laughs> <laughs> you played Pong? <laughs> no, I totally wanted that though. But no, my parents wouldn't let me have that. So I had a, an Atari 400 computer and. Uh, I, I guess my first thing I ever did was doing just basic programming, yeah. the yeah, basic yeah. programming language. Um, but I didn't, you know, that was just kind of screwing around as a kid. Uh, the first serious stuff I ever did was in college. Um, I took a, in my senior year, I went to school for theater production, of course. Um, so I have a fine arts degree, which I, <laughs> which I use every day in my right. job of programming yeah, electronics. Up, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a discussion for another day. <laughs> sad, the sadness of sending technicians through art school. Um, but uh, in my senior year, I finally had some slots open for electives. Yep. Um, and just like, you know, you took uh, a lot of math, obviously, much yep. more than I ever did. But I did take a couple of semesters of computer programming. Right. Um, and so the first language I ever learned kind of in anger was uh, the scheme programming language. Okay. And well, do they still use that today? Does uh, that, that come up a around. lot? It's around. It's around. Yeah. It was never like a production language. It yeah. was only really developed as a uh, as a learning language. Oh, okay. It's based on... Just to kind of get your feet wet. Yes. Yeah. Because it's a very small language okay. and it, very simple. Um but you you know it's Turing complete, so you can do everything in it. But yep. it's there's not a lot of syntax to learn. I see. Um, it's based on Lisp. It's like a I guess a subset or superset. I guess oh, okay. superset of Lisp. Of Lisp. Yep. Um, and Lisp, of course, is an old timey language. Right. It's been around for a long time. Yep. Um, and uh, one of those languages that never really took off, but is often held in deep reverence in the programming community. <laughs> right. right? <laughs> um, so Scheme was the. This would have been 1994, 
<laughs> so, um, so you were born, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I was born. Yeah, but I was probably in like second grade. <laughs> uh, we can't, we can't dwell on that. That's gonna make me sad. So, um, but that, but the point being, this was before the Java revolution. I think after Java. Pretty much all programming in school <laughs> switched, to, switched Java. to Java, right? But this was before that. So Scheme was the first semester, um, and then C++ was the second semester. Gotcha. We skipped right over C, oddly. And then what about C++? <laughs> that's a good question. That's a that's a funny little joke. For those that don't know, uh, in C, the++ plus plus is an operator that increments by one. So it means like the next thing. The next one. And so... C++ is supposedly the next C. Right. So if anyone ever tells you they know C+, you know that they are full of lies. (laughs) (laughs) Or something not as nice to say. (laughs) Because uh, there is no such language as C+. There's C and C++. So yeah, so I learned some scheme, learned some C++. Um, Once I got out of school, I did a little bit of database programming, actually. Uh, I was working in theater, working in a scene shop. Yeah. but we had to make a purchasing database. And oh, okay. Since I knew a little bit about programming, uh, I got assigned that task. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that was that was pretty sweet. Yeah. Um, and then after, and you know, to learn the database programming, really just you know, books. Yeah. You know, just right. reading and trying. There's a lot of databases out there. A lot of databases. There's a out lot there, of books. Yeah. <laughs> 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 definitely true. Definitely true. Uh, especially if you're coming from the theatrical world, you'll be impressed at the amount of literature available to learn programming. Right. Um, <laughs> um, and then, uh, you know, I did some PLC programming. Uh, there's not a lot of really good resources, honestly, no. on PLC programming. No. Um, but it's, it's kind of just the manuals, right? It's kind of just the manuals. Yeah, you, you got to start loving to read manuals, I guess. Yeah. Um, and then... When I started Creative Connors, uh, you know, we do all of our firmware programming in C or C++, depending yes. on the embedded microcontroller. And then... Um, and we, then what's SpikeMark? SpikeMark is written in visualbasic.net. Okay. Um, so... Uh, and that's dot, a Microsoft that's framework? That's a Microsoft framework. Yeah. So Microsoft has their platform, um, their programming platform is called .NET. Yep. Um, and it's loosely equivalent to java in terms of all the things that it can do right um but the um they have multiple languages that you can use depending on what your your preference for language syntax is okay um and i've always been a a little bit fond of the basic syntax i like um i don't like having to end every line with a semicolon right (laughs) you know i like being able to um i don't i don't love these uh, strict use of uppercase and lowercase. And yes, stuff. right. Case insensitivity is kind of nice. And anyway, it's a little more expressive. But um, before I get into too much of like spike mark and uh, and stagehand firmware, um, in terms of advice for you know, so that was kind of my route. And yep. it, honestly, along the way, I I like reading uh, technical books to figure right, things out. Right. That's, that's the, how I like to learn. I like to read books yep. and, um, do experiments. Yeah. And then like, sometimes you read like forums and stuff like that too, right? Yeah. Like, so a couple of, so a couple of things I would point out as great resources. One, most, whatever you choose that you want to learn, the O'Reilly publisher makes great books. Yeah. Typically the O'Reilly books are really good Very things good to check out. Um, they have kind of two series of books, depending on what you're looking at. Usually there's like the learning, like, so learning C, learning Python, right. learning Ruby. And then there's programming, 
blank. Yep. So learning is usually the gentler, more tutorial focused right. line of their books. And those are great to start with. And then the more hardcore stuff is their programming series. So okay. I'd usually recommend starting with a learning book from O'Reilly. Yep. Um, O'Reilly also offers a pretty cool thing called, like, I think it's called the Riley University. Uh, so if you go to O'ReillyNet.com. Yeah, net, I think. Yeah. Look it up. Look it You'll up. find right. it. <laughs> but if you go to the O'Reilly, um, you can actually sign up for online courses, um, which are pretty good. They have oh, like okay. an online programming environment um, and great little lesson plans and stuff. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's a pretty cool way to learn. Yep. Um, if you're, you know, if you rather have like that instructional right. uh, method. Um, and then stackoverflow.com. Yeah. Once you get into things and you're like trying to actually solve problems and want to ask questions or just search for people's right. questions, stackoverflow.com is awesome. Yep. It is just a fantastic resource. Tons of people go there. Right? Tons of people go there. It is, it's a programming community that uh, for all languages, right. everything, you know, C, iOS programming, you know, Python, whatever. And in all skill sets. I mean, all levels right. of skill. Yep. And um, it's a great place just to search. Um, if you're running into a specific problem, yep. probably somebody has already asked that question. Yep. Um, or, you know, if you haven't, it's a great place to ask questions too. And it's a friendly, friendly community of people um, that help everybody help each other out. Right. So those are some good resources to look into. Um, and then, I guess if you're starting to learn, uh, you know, I think one of the things you want to ask yourself is what is it you're trying to do? Right. You know? um, if you are interested, you know, she asked specifically about automation programming. Yes. And that, you know, if you're really interested in doing some automation programming, you probably want to get into some embedded electronics, yep. you know, because you want to do programming that interacts with the outside world. Right. Um, and so like when you say embedded, you mean like an Arduino? Yeah. Like an Arduino is a great example. Or like of a, a beagle bone or something like that. Yep. Right. Arduino, BeagleBone, Raspberry Pi. Yep. Those are all great ways to get started in small electronics programming. Right. You know, something where you want to switch things on and off and talk to little electronic devices. Yep. Um, but the Arduino is is so nice because so many people are using it. There's absolutely. so many resources out there. Honestly, I mean, there's, there's a lot of books and then there's online courses. There's right. forums for it. Yep. I totally agree. I think if you were really trying to get started in um, programming today with an eye towards doing automation, I would just pick up an Arduino. Right. Um, it's a great little device, easy to get started with. Like you're saying, tons of resources out there. Uh, it's a really, it's a really easy way to get yeah. going. And for like twenty bucks, for sure, money. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you and get you get quite a quite a powerful little device. You do for sure. And the other nice thing is that the software is free. Yep. Um, and our, the Arduino software, they've got their own little language that's based on the, the wiring language. Yeah. Um, but you can also write raw C and C++ as well. Right. So you can use their kind of higher level language when it makes sense. But the, as you get more serious and want to kind of dig deeper down into yeah. traditional programming methods, um, you can use C and C++ there. Oh, okay. Which is sweet. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so I, I would probably start there. Um, if you wanted to just kind of tinker around with programming, I would, my personal favorite language is Python. Yes. Um, I would take a look at Python. Um, Ruby's very popular. Right. JavaScript is great. It's huge, it, yeah. Yeah, you can just run it in your web browser, right. which it makes it 
nice and easy. It's kind of a disgusting language, but, <laughs> but it seems like so much of the of the world and software yep. is headed towards web based, right? I mean, oh yeah, yep, for sure. And that you know, so JavaScript would be stuff that runs on the client side, typically like in the browser, right? And server side, you'd be like for we do some web development here for yep. our own internal tools, and um, I tend to use Python for that stuff. So uh, anyway. So anyways, for getting started, hopefully that gives you some ideas of where to go to get started and take a look at things. Um, yeah. In terms of... like, So then how how did you start the spike mark and the state chance? Like, what do you... Yeah. You know, what do you use now to program spike mark and the state chance? I mean, I know we talked a little bit about it, but, you know, how do you... Yeah, how did it get started, yeah, right? Yeah. So... Uh, we use actually a funky little microcontroller inside the stagehand uh, called the Rabbit. The Rabbit 2000. The Rabbit 2000. <laughs> Coming to you live. <laughs> yeah. Um, oddly enough, I started in the year 2000 uh, developing right. the stagehand. And at the time, everything was the 2000, right? So <laughs> the microprocessor <laughs> is the Rabbit 2000. Y2K was, proof. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But it's basically just a little 8-bit microcontroller, um, not terribly different than what you'd find, a little more powerful than what you'd find in an Arduino, but yep. of that same kind of idea. You yeah. Know? Um, it's not running an operating system or anything like that. No, that's right. That's right. So we're just running firmware right on the on the metal, as they say. Yep. Um, so we're just switching on and off the inputs and outputs directly uh, with the code. That's all written in C. Um Okay. Which is, you know, the kind of the granddaddy of most modern programming languages right. Um, right. developed in the 70s at Bell Labs um, and the underpinnings of Unix. Yep. Um, C is what has become the kind of lingua franca of programming. But yeah. Or at least the bedrock, you know. Um, so that's all written in C. Um, and then the, the kind of cool thing about the way it works is that the... Um, Stagehand really just is a little bit is a little micro server sitting out there, yeah, and kind of like a web server, except it's not serving up web pages; it's instead running motors for right. us. But it's just hanging out on the network, and then when it gets a network connection, um, it just reads whatever the data is coming in, yep. and then executes what it was asked to do. Okay, and that's just done with ascii text right um you could like log into a uh stagehand motor controller like with telnet yeah right right and you could just punch in some ascii text if you knew what the the op codes were. are yep. right we just have a very simple little structure of how we send commands but you could just type it in at the command line and make the stagehand go do something right so there's nothing like really hard linking the stagehand to spike mark say it's just strings going over the network oh, okay which that reminds me a lot of like web pages right because yes. we just send web pages around as regular old strings you know right. just formatted as html and in um so it's pretty to see yeah, yeah exactly and then but http is a is the the protocol yeah and so instead of using http we use creative connor's protocol right you know? <laughs> um but it's just strings so we just send text over the network to these devices yep. to make them do stuff so all we need is some kind of nice looking queuing interface on a computer that can when the operator pushes the go button send the right series of strings over the network oh yeah to yeah. make the stagehands right. do their thing right so uh, so then did you write so then like do you write spike mark and c 
as well so the two can communicate or is that are you able to write spike mark in any language you, you that's want that's the great thing is you can really write spike mark in whatever language you want mm -hmm. it just needs to be able to output strings over the network which really any programming language can do can for do, you right um the original software we developed i developed was called avista yeah and that was written in visual basic six um I don't know, maybe like three months after I launched the company, Microsoft <laughs> announced they were killing Google Basic 6 and there was no upgrade strategy to right. the next product. Which was Sorry awesome. about you. Sorry about you. <laughs> Hope you didn't just bet your future on this. Um, so uh, I actually spent a couple of years developing the kind of quote unquote next version of Avista um, in multiple languages. Yeah. And uh, so I had prototypes written in Python, uh, Delphi, um, Java. Java, right? Yeah, because Java, you know, I was pretty excited about the idea of using Java to have like a cross-platform version right. of Spike Mark. Um, anyway, uh, in the end, I came back and just used Microsoft's next set of development tools. The nice thing yeah. about Microsoft's development tools, if you're working on Windows, is that, you know, they're the guys making Windows. They have right. like, they make the nicest development frameworks too. Yep. Um, so, and then, so you program in like a text editor or... Do you Vi Visual Studio. Visual Studio, right? Yeah, which is an integrated development environment, an IDE. Yep. So it has a text editor in it um, for writing your code. Yep. But it's got a lot of other really nice features. Right. And it ties right into the compiler. Um, so you can just hit, you can write your code and hit one button and it compiles it and tests it. Does it all know, for you. Launches yeah. it for you, yeah. And that's that's produced by Microsoft? That's right? produced by by Microsoft, yeah. yeah. And they have free versions of that now too. The yes. Microsoft Visual Studio um, has a community edition, so you can download that if yep. you're interested in doing Windows programming. Yeah, um, and I use it when I was in school for free. Right. For, for student, you know, because it was free for students. Right. So. Yeah. And these days it's just free, free. Right. Free, free. Like you can pay for it still too if you're on in a bigger uh, company or something. But yeah. for like companies up to five people now, it's free. Right. So which it's is, great. Yeah. yeah. Which is awesome. <laughs> which is awesome. Yep. Uh, but then, you know, we've also poked around with other um, experiments yeah. on other platforms. You know, we've certainly done a little bit of uh, Mac development in the past. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Royal and I are both actually Mac heads at heart. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Just Windows makes a lot more business sense for Spike Mark. Um, but so, you know, we've used, I've used Objective-C yep. and Xcode. And um, then um, Apple just announced, not just, it was about a year ago, a new language, right? Yeah, and that's really that's interesting. Pretty, that's pretty cool. Again. Yeah, the Swift programming language from Apple looks awesome. Yep. Um, it's like a... A nice cross between a compiled high-speed language and a more flexible scripting language. Oh, so okay. kind of like it's got some of the good aspects of C right. and then some of the great aspects of Python mixed together in gotcha. one language. Yeah, because Objective-C was pretty archaic, right? I mean, it's... It really was. I mean, it you know, it, modern for its time when it was invented in the 80s. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it compared to more modern scripting languages, uh, it feels a little uh dated yeah right <laughs> you know um it hadn't really kept pace i think with the, the rest of the programming world um the frameworks that, my, that apple produces are great but that objective c was a big stumbling block for yeah. a lot of people so if you're interested in doing some mac or ios development swift is definitely a cool language yeah. to look at and just like we were saying with the arduino stuff on the ios side there's tons of documentation tons, I mean, tons yeah. of tons of books tons of apple's got great documentation yeah and then of course tons of forums and yeah well. and the big nerd ranch yeah um, makes big nerd ranch books are really great if you're interested in doing either mac programming or ios right. uh, development 
yeah, really good stuff. Um, so yeah, anyway, uh, that's kind of sort of how everything works under the covers. You know, we have a little bit of a little, little servers embedded in our stage hands. Yep. Um, those are running very stripped down, very simple, um, C code that just takes text in over the network and then translates that into motion. Um, and then on the, uh, on the client side on where you actually, the queuing interface, yeah. Spike Mark, um, that's written in, um, VB, VB.net. Yep. Yep. On the Microsoft platform, but really that could be swapped out for kind of almost anything. Right. Whatever um, you choose. And then on the showstopper three consulate, that's our new showstopper. Yeah. Um, that has a little microcontroller in it as well. Yep. Um, and that's actually using an arm processor. An, oh, cool. An arm cortex M4. Yep. And that's, uh, they called the embed. Yes. Uh, and the embed, uh, runs or is written in C plus plus. Oh, nice. Code. Nice. Yeah. And we like to tell people that the uh, Microsoft Band, the watch. Yeah, also uses, uses the a same, Cortex. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, yeah. Uh, so, I don't know. Does that – I feel like I rambled Larry a little bit. No, but. I think that's great. I mean, I think that you know gives everybody an insight to obviously where you came from and yep. then how you continue to learn. And Yeah, yeah. And, so and things, where they can learn as well. And things that kind of excite me these days are um, – you know, doing some of the web programming stuff is still a lot of fun for our internal use right. using Python. Um, and then, uh, you know, we're always interested in looking at other stuff. I mean, the Swift programming, programming language on the Mac looks awesome. And it's something yeah. that I'm digging into more these days. Um, and then, uh, you know, otherwise, I you know, on the Windows side, I think we're pretty well set staying with the .NET stuff. Yeah. Um, it seems like they're going to support that for a while. Yeah. Right? Didn't they... They just said like a couple months ago they were going to support it for the next five, six years or something. Oh. Right. For .NET? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think .NET's good for like at least 15 at oh, this okay. point. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. But the it's funny that Microsoft had that push in Windows 8 to have like their, whatever they called it. Like originally it was Metro and then right. the modern, modern interface yeah. and whatever, whatever. And um, it seems like all that's changing again. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad we didn't jump on that bandwagon. <laughs> yeah, right. Because <laughs> <laughs> it seems like that's dying. It's dead. Pretty quickly. They're <laughs> <laughs> coming back to .NET. So. Um, but yeah, what's what's nice about the whole system is that there's actually a pretty clear um, separation between the stage hand and spike mark. Yep. So it gives us a lot of flexibility for writing different tools um, to play with those things. Yeah. Communicate between them. Great. Cool. Well, thanks guys for listening. Um, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. Uh, if you like it, please rate us on iTunes. Yeah. It's the best way for new people to find the show and uh, let you know that you like it. Exactly. And then give us feedback as well. Yeah, we've gotten uh, several emails this week coming into the podcast at creativeconnors.com. Yep. And um, it's a great way to let us know if there's something that you'd like to hear us talk right. more about or talk less about <laughs> uh, <laughs> send us some tips and tricks there. Uh, and we'll see you next week. Yep. Thanks guys. Nothing's wrong. Nothing's wrong. Royal. <laughs> if you don't know, I'm not going to tell you, you should know. <laughs> okay. Talk at your volume. This is my volume. Great. That sounds good. Is this sound good? Or just, yeah, sound good? I Fantastic. think fantastic. Anything you can do to give us more royal <laughs> is better. Do I always talk quiet? Like yes. Like when I talk to you, just yes. like out there, I talk quiet. Yes. I mean, I know I talk quiet on the phone.
I didn't know that until a couple of years ago. Hello. <laughs> until you started saying, I sound like I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> you do. <laughs> like but now, yourself. like Tony, when Tony calls me, like half the time he asks me if I if he woke me up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So lean in, project, and we're good. Hello. Yeah, like that. All right. <laughs> My name is Royal Marty. Yeah. You like that? Yeah. That's good. All right. Great. Me like a voice coach. Yeah. <laughs> voice coach. Okay. I'm going to do the clap thing again just because it gives me a really big spike that I can edit to. Yep. <laughs>